Hey, it's John Williams. If your home struggled to stay warm this winter, then you know it's going to be hot this summer. Maybe it's those old leaky windows and doors. Call Next Door and Window, the company we hired. Right now, you'll get buy one, get one 30% off, plus 18 months of interest-free financing. So call 1-800-NEXT-DOOR right now. That's 1-800-NEXT-DOOR or go to 1-800-NEXTDOOR.COM. This special episode of the Hogan and Johns podcast from Radio Row in Miami is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Fight for Air Climb, presented by United Healthcare. All right, you've been hearing me tell you about it, and it's time to make a move. We're doing the climb. We want you to join us on our team. It's happening on Sunday, March 8th at the Presidential Towers in Chicago. The teams from WGN Radio and WGN TV are inviting you to be a part of the biggest stair climb in Chicago. Every year, the team from WGN TV joins forces with the team from WGN Radio to do this, and we want you, our Hogan Johns listeners, to join us. Johns and I will both be doing the climb. You can sign up to do it with us. Here's what you need to do. Go to the WGN Radio events page at WGNRadio.com slash events. There you'll see the Fight for Air Climb listed. You click on it, find the button to register, and you'll automatically be part of our team. Then you just got to start training. And why do we do this? Because the fight for clean air and healthy lungs belongs to all of us. You and your team can climb one, two, three, or all four towers if you're up for it. That's 2,340 steps. The American Lung Association fight for air climb at Presidential Towers. Hogan Johns. The ultimate goal is to win the Super Bowl. That's on us. You know, we made this. That's what we're striving for, perfection. So, guys, uh, it's a disappointing season. Very frustrating. You can't run the ball. You can't throw the ball. You can't catch the ball. You can't run the right routes. And you can't block it. Given the expectations that we had, I think that everyone had, our fans had. I agree with our guy here, Hoagie Cat. Obviously, they're going to the Super Bowls, but uh, I don't know where they're losing three games. So to go 8-8 eight and eight after making the playoffs the year before, it was unacceptable. How the hell are you supposed to do anything offensively when all that happens? Yes. I'm hopeful that we'll straighten it out and the guys will return to the level of play that they had in 18. WGN Radio presents Hogan Johns. I think you heard it from Ryan and Matt. Um, I have all the confidence in the world in both of them. They're the reason that we had a 12-4 and year in 2018, and we regressed in a whole lot of areas. Trubisky to the end zone, and it's going to be picked off. It's Adrian Amos who comes back to haunt his old team. With WGN Radio's Adam Hogue, and from The Athletic, Adam Johns. I think we we should be able to turn it around next year. I mean, we were 12 and 4 just a year ago. We had the coach of the year, the executive of the year. They haven't lost their abilities, and we haven't lost the talent level. We just got to be able to maximize it better this coming season. Here they are, the Adams. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kobe Johns. What's up? Welcome in from Radio Row in Miami, a special edition of the Hogan Johns podcast. Just missing Adam Johns, who's not down here, but 
it's going to be okay because we got a lot of content for you, a ton to get to, a lot of Bears flavor down here at the Super Bowl, as always, uh, and wanted to make sure that we got you an episode episode down here. Uh, we'll hear from Robbie Gold. We'll hear from – this is a very big special teams episode for some reason, the way it worked out. Dave Tobe, Eddie Pinheiro, and Pat O'Donnell, two Miami boys were around here. So uh, you're going to hear from all those guys in this episode. My name's Adam Hogue, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Adam Hogue. Read me at WGNRadio.com. And, of course, we should still plug John's stuff. It's on The Athletic, theathletic.com, and The Athletic app. You can find all that stuff there. I know he's still got some new things going up there this week, even though he's not down here in Miami. Well, this is a football podcast, and that's not going to change. There's going to be plenty of football here. But I wanted to bring my friend Jared Payton over here. He's all over radio. You think I'm doing a lot on Radio Road. JP <laughs> is doing everything here in Miami. Uh, Plus, it's his college town. Yes, sir. So, you got this is like a college reunion for you this yeah, week. Yeah, I thought that it would be a little bit more laid back. I wasn't uh, I wasn't expecting to be not sitting down that much. But when you asked me to sit down for five minutes, I was like, yes, I'll take that. <laughs> please uh, let me please, sit. Please, just let me sit down for a little bit. Well, I wanted to bring you over here. And we could talk a little bit of football, too. But, you know, we were just conversing before we got going this is a weird feeling in Miami I don't even feel like I can start this podcast correctly without addressing Kobe Bryant because it is just one of those sports stories that goes well beyond sports and when you put into context like Sunday night was the Grammys and we're down here at the Super Bowl and with all that going on everything still comes back to Kobe Bryant and it's 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 just kind of weird it's it's I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'm down here doing football interviews, football interviews, talking football, and then my brain keeps wandering back to what happened on Sunday. I can't stop thinking about it. I really can't. It's it's um, it's an eerie feeling for me because anytime that you have death, it's it's always a touchy subject. Uh, for me, when it's public. I kind of understand a little bit, you know, of kind of what the family goes through. Um, to me, it, it was eerie to be in Miami, the place where I was um, the last time, um, you know, when my dad was sick in, in 99. I was back here at school. I had to go back home. I was at home for a couple of days with him before he passed away. And I remember that feeling at our house in South Barrington when he passed. You know, most people are just trying to grieve and, like, figure out what just happened. I'm 19 years old, trying to figure it out. Plus, there's all this other stuff going on that we have to do as a family because of who my dad is, of how, like, the, the news is released. And, like, there's helicopters flying over my house. There's people, a couple hundred people outside of our house that are there to, you know, to put down flowers in front of our house. And it's just a lot to process. So, my feelings were, how, how can this happen to Kobe? Then I started to find out more information about how this could happen to him and his daughter. And then started to find out that there's more people that were on this helicopter as well. There's a bunch of people that are affected by this. Then my mind started drifting towards Vanessa and the rest of the family and how they were feeling at that moment. And something that I could 
you know, I could actually understand a little bit, just a little bit, have an understanding of kind of how they felt, and my heart just goes out to them, but it just, you try to figure out why things like this happen. And hoax, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And you try, when you try to wrap your head around it and you try to figure it out, it, that's what it keep your, keeps your brain, it keeps going. It, sometimes the emotions don't make sense. I mean, I, I, I've been struggling with that a lot over the last 48 hours. Um, kind of almost this, like, selfishness. Like, I didn't even know this guy. Why is it impacting me? I think it's fathers and it, more people I talk to That's about it. that around here. Uh, you're going to hear from Greg Jennings in this podcast, too. Uh, he is a 13-year-old daughter, and that was, like, the first thing his mind went to. I didn't want to leave my family on Sunday to come down here. And so, but there's also this, like, why I I guess what I'm saying is I didn't even realize that Kobe impacted me that much. Yeah. Until now. And I was having a conversation last night with our friend Lawrence Holmes, and he was almost like explaining it to me. He's like, he's like, dude, you're you're a '90s Bulls kid. Yeah. And when MJ retired, it's the next closest thing. They went. Phil Jackson went to L.A. Kobe was the next guy, and that is true. I became somewhat of a Laker fan, and I watched Kobe all the time, and that was like the next guy that people my age watched. And this is, I think, for people sort of our age, this is um, kind of the, I don't know, it's it, it's the first kind of sports figure, at least for me, that you kind of grew up with and now yes. seen dying. Uh, but I want to bring you in here, obviously, because of the perspective with yeah. your father and the public, the whole, the whole thing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, Hogue. It's from the moment uh, that my dad like came out and told the world what was going on after my press conference at St. Vider High School because that's where it all started. Yeah. You know, everybody saw him and then he, he didn't want to be there because he didn't want to take away, you know, my, that's my shine on that day. But I wanted him there and being a kid not thinking about he's just looking at him as dad and not at the, the weight that he lost and how noticeable it was. And then next thing you know, like he came out and he told people what was going on and the the love and the the outpour of love and it just from all over the world. And I've been saying this the, all week since I've been here so far. Like, yo, my dad sat in his office and I'll never forget. He was looking at letters because letters were coming in by like garbage bags. And he would take them out and he would read them. And I was on the other side of the room and he looks at me and he said... I didn't know. I said, what do you mean? I turned to him. I said, what do you mean you didn't know? Because I didn't know I had this type of impact on people, not just here in Chicago, but around the world. And when you're one of the great ones and you excel in your sport and, and people recognize you, they know you, they gravitate towards you for different reasons. I wasn't a huge basketball fan, but I, I was a Kobe fan because I love the way he works. I love that Mamba mentality, like never giving up and how hard he worked. And that's what I took from him from afar. I mean, being a being a kid growing up in the 80s and seeing the Bulls, I, at one point in time, I was always upset with Kobe because I was like, Dog, be your own person. Stop trying to yeah. be Mike because I watched Mike in the 90s. <laughs> Stop being Mike. But, but it, it was something that hit me while I was here in the hotel room of seeing Mike's quotes. 
about calling him one of the most fiercest competitors. Now, if Michael Jordan is saying that about you, Hulk, how many people do you think he says that about? There's not, there's not yeah. a lot. Yeah, right. And he said that about Kobe. That, that's how I know the impact, man, that this man had, not just on the game of basketball, but on uh, on our culture. And growing up and seeing the swag, the shoes, the the swag he had when he played, the fro when he came in, like all the stuff that I wish I could have done or had. Like I wanted a fro because Kobe had a fro, and he would wear these Oakley glasses when he took Brandy out to to the prom. I was like, see, now I'm just picturing you with the fro. I know, <laughs> and I'm thinking like he, he, that's what it is. And you know it when you get to one point in your life, and that point in your life when you can be called by one name. Yeah, you you know around the world, you say Kobe. People know who you're talking about. That's special, man. And um, I'm, I'm just still lost because it doesn't make sense. And you and I have been walking around Radio Road. There's TVs around here everywhere. Right before we started this, Kobe was on the TV that I'm facing right now. And I'm just still doesn't seem real. And, and that the day I got here to Miami, I get off and... And my producer, Rick, comes to me and says, yo, right as we get off the plane, yo, did you see the Bears' Twitter account got hacked? So I'm like, no, I didn't see. I just, we just got off the plane. So I go and check it out. I'm like, oh, it's crazy. We're driving in the car, and it comes on an alert. And he's like, yo, I think Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. And I'm like, there's no way. Right. So they, got this, they got hacked. There's no way. And over time, um, I just... You and I in this business, it's it's different now. And I feel like the one thing that I want to kind of tell people to kind of think about is I know we're all in this business now and everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be first to get stuff out there. I get it. We got to handle situations a little bit differently. We, we have to. We, we, we have to. For family's sake, in a situation like this, Adam, we got to, man, because some of the misinformation I was getting. Yeah, it was bad. Could you could you imagine being a family member? Like, there was, there was a report, the hashtag, when I was looking at it, it was all Kobe stuff. So it was Mamba, it was Kobe, it was Vanessa, and then it was uh, Rick Fox. Right, who wasn't and, even. And it wasn't yeah. even on there. Could you imagine being a loved one of Rick Fox trying to figure out what's going on if you. So we just. Look, I can tell you where my mind went immediately once that news was confirmed that Kobe died, and there was supposedly at that point there the reports were five people. Not all about you, but my head immediately went to God. I hope his daughters weren't on that helicopter. But this is, I think, to your point. We all live in this world where we immediately want to tweet what we're thinking. Yes. I didn't touch that because you don't even want to suggest that. I, I, even, you know, I and I'm like sure you. a lot of people were all thinking the same thing. I was but just like you. Don't even want that out there. I, 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 I sat on it waited because we were sitting having yeah. lunch. And it wasn't on any of the TVs. It wasn't on the ticker. It wasn't anywhere. It was only on Twitter. Yeah. And so I was like, I got. I'm waiting until I actually hear. And then when I saw it come across, then it, it then it hit me just a little bit. And um, man, the legacy is going to live on. His memory is going to is is big and strong. And the other thing too is I understand as people because I see this with my dad, and I say this all the time. I know people always tell me the great things, but about him, and I get that. I understand. My dad was human. 
Kobe was human, just like everybody that's listening to this podcast is human. None of us are perfect. And we all go through our ups and downs in life, and we have our, our issues. And uh, if, you, if you pull back the cover on all of us in the public light, there's things that some of us don't want other people to know, right? Mm-hmm. Just some of us are, have a different life where it is out there in public. So I understand no one's perfect. And I think you got to look at uh, Kobe's life that way as well. He was a, he was a human being. And um, that's, I think that's the hard part that you look at these athletes as being superhuman. Nothing's ever going to happen to them. Same way I thought about my dad. Oh, he's got cancer. He's going to beat this. He's the strongest dude I've ever met. It's not. It's only going to be a matter of time. He's going. He's going. He, he'll get past this. He didn't. It don't matter. We all bleed the same. And that's that's how I look at it, man. We gotta just be thankful. And now I'm like you said, you didn't want to leave your house. You didn't want to get on a plane and leave your family. But the one thing that we, situations like this actually kind of bring to light is that tell the loved ones, the people that are around you, that you love them the time that we have on this earth we don't know how much time it actually is so take advantage of every single second that you have and if you got any issues with people in your life that you've been holding on to grudges it's not that big man let it go and get over it because probably one of the biggest things that i have a great regret is that sitting there with my dad when he passed I had so many things in my head that i was wanted to tell him that i never got a chance to well, he knows now. I know he knows he now. He knows now. But at that time, at 19, it was yeah. it was one of those things that stuck with me, and, I, it, and it hurt. Because I was like, I should have said something. Say how you feel, and make sure that the people that are around you that love you, let them, that they know. Well, I appreciate you coming here and talking about it, JP. No problem, man. Anytime, man. And Why don't you tell the, the listeners what's, what's going on this week? You, man, you got so much stuff. Big game, big game bound is going down here at, um, at Radio Row, and I have it's a streaming show that is uh, from 1 to 2 Eastern time. So if you get a chance, just go to WGNTV.com. You can find the link there. And, uh, man. Legends of the Big Game is coming up uh, on Wednesday, and it's the interviews with Emmett Smith, Ed Reed, and Marv Levy, and like their road to getting to the Big Game, and it's just it's crazy how it all came together. So I look forward to that as well. It's on WGN on WGN uh, Wednesday. What what time is it airing? Uh, I think it's airing at seven seven o'clock and Central then, Time seven on WGN. Yeah, and then we're gonna hopefully we'll re-air again, but. It's a process. Me and uh, Rick Tarsitano, my producer, we we went through and took us two two months to get it done. And I look forward to hopefully sharing it with everybody in Chicago. And big game bound on WGNTV.com. Yep. What time? Uh, one to two Eastern time. Eastern time. So if you're in Chicago, do the math. To, yeah. Twelve you to know, one. Twelve we can to do one. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it. Appreciate you, Hope. All right. From uh, one father-son combination and, and just uh, speaking of... Athletes and their and their children. 
Howie Long and Kyle Long had a chance. I had a chance to talk to Howie today. Um, Kyle, of course, just recently retired, and I should plug that later on this week I'll be talking to Kyle, so you can hear that on a, our our second episode of Hogan Johns this week. Um, but wanted to share this with you right off the bat, especially in the context of you know everything that's been going on this week. But had a chance to talk to Howie about everything that Kyle had been through what he had been playing through and his decision to retire and how he was outstanding. This is great stuff. You're going to want to hear it. So here he is, Howie Long, talking about Kyle's retirement. I'll say this. He um, he took the Lewis and Clark route to get to the NFL. Uh, drafted out of high school in baseball. Opted to go to Florida State. Uh, the only thing that well, went well down there was baseball for the semester. I pulled him out of school. He was working at a surf shop for a year and a half out in Newport Beach. Decided to go to a community college, unbeknownst to us. Said, hey, coach, my name's Kyle. I'd like to try out for your team. Imagine this, walking into a community college and saying, hey, coach, my name's Kyle. I'd like to try out for your team. Goes there, goes up to Chip uh, Chip up in Chip Kelly up in Oregon plays one year gets drafted in the first round questionable first round pick given his limited background in football and only six starts in college in that three year period he was he's a unique person physically um, you know I've always said this guy puts his hands on some people's shoulders and you know and you're special physically now what are you going to do with it and for three years, and this is, you know, I, I, I base this off of people that I come in contact with because it's hard to see the trees for the forest when it's your son. But I remember Bill Belichick telling me after that week of practice up in New England that he said, your other boy, you know, because Chris was playing up there then, he said, your other boy Kyle is... Boy, he's good. He's special. And I said, well, he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. And he said, he he might be the best guard in football. So, as I've said to Kyle, you know, the ankle reconstruction, the knee scope, the fusion of the neck, the shoulder surgery, the elbow surgery. I remember that night when he had the shoulder and the elbow done in the same surgery in post-op. And back at the hotel room, following him around the hotel, throwing up 35, 40 times that night. Uh, literally 35, 40 times. And the fusion was probably the one that... I think gave him pause and gave us pause too when he came out of that post-op with the neck brace on and you know it not great um, you know he, he he would have liked for his career to have been longer and played in Chicago his whole career and been thought of in the same you know breath with guys like uh, Jimbo Cobert and you know and, and all those guys uh but uh, while he was there, he uh, he made some made some waves. Did it become difficult for him to rely on his body? Um, I don't know if it's difficult to rely on the body as much as it is. The neck was tough. Um, you know, you start getting your neck fused, and you're playing offensive guard, and you know, defensive tackles are 330 pounds, and. You know, it's it's impact every play. 
Um, and having played, and, and, and it didn't just happen on a Monday and he had the surgery on Tuesday. He was playing with it for over a year. Uh, the shoulder, playing playing with it for over a year. And then the elbow got discovered and, you know, at, at some point you just have to say, look, it's been it's been great. You you poured your heart and soul into it. You gave everything you, you had to, uh, you know, it was important to him to be a bear and uh, I know how important it was to him and I think uh, the thought of going somewhere else would be be like me going somewhere. How could you be anything but a raider? Hard to imagine Kyle as being anything but a bear. He's in a really good place. He's about 290 right now. Looks great. Uh, he's He's been working out off and on with Olin Krutz. And I think Olin is... Uh, he says Olin is is me without the father-son angst because Olin will tell you exactly what he thinks. Uh, and we have some very frank conversations, but, you know, as is the case with most fathers and sons, it's a challenge to get that conversation by the point where he wants to kick my rear end, you know. And I said, look, kicking my rear end is not a challenge. You kick my rear end and then go down to preschool. That was Howie Long earlier today down here in Miami at Fox Sports Media Availability. Of course, Fox has the uh, Super Bowl on Sunday, the full broadcast, and they were making their personalities available to the media down here in Miami. So that was Howie Long, but another guy who works for Fox that knows Kyle very well is Jay Glazer. Jay, of course, has trained with Kyle uh, throughout the years. You've probably heard or seen some of those Instagram videos uh, with with Jay training with Kyle knows him very well. Also had a chance to talk to Jay Glazer today about Kyle Long's retirement. Kyle's responsible for I think three of my surgeries. Yeah, yeah. How many of his are I you mean, responsible I, for? I wrestle. I mean, look at me, man. I'm a five foot seven Jewish guy. I got no business wrestling Kyle Long. It's terrible. I, I mean, Howie brought him to me years ago. Saying, "All right, here's the keys to the car. Get him ready for the combine." And we started training and wrestling. And uh, it's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. He is the strongest dude who's ever put his hands on me in my entire life. And we have trained. I've trained about 1,200 football players um, and trained with Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture and guys like that. He's the strongest dude who's ever put his hands on me in my life. Well, (laughs) how he certainly detailed everything he's been through, and I've covered him the whole career, so certainly well aware. Let me tell you on one part of, of Kyle. Sure. Kyle has the biggest heart in the world. Kyle was my son's Manny. So when he was, when I was training him, uh, he had lived in my house, and he, I, I trusted him with my son to be his Manny, and he literally was. And, and the two of them are, you know, on the same wavelength anyway. But he was, it was beautiful. He was great having him there with, uh, to have Kyle there with my son Sammy and help, help kind of raise him with me. It was pretty cool. Biggest heart in the world. How tough do you think this year was for him? knowing he was clearly not 100%, and eventually it seemed like the Bears just made a decision that they wanted to move on. He hasn't been 100% in years. I mean, his injuries were ridiculous. Um, the fact that he broke the ankle the way he did and he didn't go in a shock, and he was still trying to pump his team up. I saw him after the game in that locker room, and he was kind of pointing at it laughing. I know. I'm like, what's wrong with you? No, he's a mutant. He's not from this planet. He's different. Yeah, he's different. Very different. But how hard? He wanted to be a Bear for life, and how hard was that on him? That, it, that, I mean, it's going to happen because he's retiring, but I'm sure that wasn't his mindset in week five when they no. moved on. Listen, that's why I started this foundation, I have this MVP foundation to, 
emerging vets and players when your career, whether in the military or, or in the NFL, suddenly ends. You know, a lot of time you're lost. You don't have your team anymore. You, know, you don't. You've always been on a team your entire life. Everything you've done, a little kid, all of a sudden you don't. Suddenly, it's gone. So we're trying to recreate, you know, that team, giving these guys a team again. And and uh, Kyle has always been involved with our MVP uh, program, and you know we have one out in Chicago. So I know he's going to be involved with that also. So that was Jay Glazer on Kyle Long, and of course. Remind you again that we will hear from Kyle himself, uh, scheduled to talk to him later on this week, and we will have that for you uh, later on in our second Hogan Johns episode of the week, which you'll find on The Athletic. And a good chance you might hear that, too, on Sunday's show on WGN as Adam Johns and I will be on WGN Radio from 1 to 5, leading up to kickoff in the Super Bowl between the 49ers and Chiefs. Well, we kind of transition now to the game on Sunday, but plenty of local connections, plenty of Chicago connections in this game, and many of them on special teams. I I mentioned off the top that there's a heavy special teams flavor to this episode today, uh, but we'll start it with the the two former special teams members of the Bears that are uh, playing this weekend. Well, one of them's playing, one of them is coaching, and of course the coach is Dave Tobe, the Bears' former special teams coordinator, still uh, very well respected in Chicago and across the league, but you can tell the impact he had on the Bears based on how much fans still respect him all these years later. He hasn't been there uh, since the end of the 2012 season when the Bears fired Lovey Smith. Dave Toe was actually interviewed for the head coaching job. Of course, he didn't get it, ended up leaving, uh, even though the Bears wanted to keep him around on that staff. Uh, he and Under Mark Tressman, he ended up leaving and went with Andy Reid in Kansas City. I think that was uh, turned out to be a good career choice obviously but 13 years later after being in the Super Bowl down here in Miami with the Bears with Robbie Gold who's going to be on the other side of things on Sunday Dave Tobes getting another crack at getting that Super Bowl ring and I had a chance to talk to him at Super Bowl media night and started by asking him about that experience 13 years ago with the Bears and how this trip this time to Miami compares well the same feeling that you know the winner of this game is going to be the world champion that's you know it kind of gives you goosebumps when you think about it but other than that i mean it's so much different as far as this setup here uh, 13 years ago we, we showed up at the stadium and it was like a thousand people max and we sat in the stands and every once in a while somebody would come up and talk to you now it's a big production we come out and spotlights and everybody's wearing suits and it's crazy a little weird that Robbie Gold's on the other side of it this it time? Is. It is. I'm, I'm happy for Robbie. Robbie had a great year. Uh, I coached Robbie for eight years that I was at Chicago with him. and uh, He's a great person, and I'm really happy that he's made it to this game. Uh, let's leave it at that. All right. So, <laughs> so the last time you were down here... It couldn't start any better no. than that. I mean, that's honestly one of the biggest moments in Chicago sports history, even though you didn't get the win. What, what do you remember about that? What the preparation, having any idea whether or not they were going to kick the Devin or not? Well, the, the only thing I did tell the guy on Saturday night before the Super Bowl, I told the team that, you know, with all the cameras going off and being at the Super Bowl, I don't see him kicking a squib kick or kicking the ball out of bounds or anything like that. I thought they might, you know, might kick to him. So we, we prepared for it. And they did. They kicked it to him. Venetary kicked the ball right to him. And Devin does what he does. He made, made a guy miss in the hole. And 
and then he just took it to the house like he like he did five times before that. In terms of career moments, you still think about that all the time. Sim- simply the best moment of my life in coaching. You know, for sure, that was the best play. Uh, in a, you know, and it's still, I mean, I just it brings back great memories. You also have a history with Chris Tabor. He's getting his opportunity with the Bears. Uh, in my opinion, he's been doing a great job. Uh, what, what can you say about him and, and the job he's been doing? Chris Tabor's a great coach. I mean, I, I was around. Chris Chris was my assistant for three years, and uh, he's, he's, most of his career has been at Cleveland. You know, and if you can survive Cleveland, you can survive anything. But he went through some coaches there too. <laughs> we said, we said, <laughs> we used to laugh like, how how could you keep making it through? I mean, he makes it through because he's a good coach. That's why. And, he, and you guys got a real good one when you got him. Just from our perspective, with this current Bears team, you played them late in the season. When you're preparing for them, the weapons that they might have on special teams, what were you emphasizing that week to your guys? Well, it was all about Cordell Patterson. You know, I mean, we knew that you know he could he could just crush it. So he was a big deal. You know, we, we didn't want to give him the ball. That's why we kicked touchbacks. I mean, simple as that. I mean, it's and then and then we knew that they were a well coached team and that they would be flying around. You just watch the tape, you could see that, that that's what was happening. And with Patterson, the thing I keep bringing up is, yes, he's the kick returner, but he's one of the best gunners yeah, I mean, I, in the league. Yeah, we had we had to have a special plan for him as a gunner. We had to keep another guy back there just to buy. We were basically triple teaming him. And he still, he still usually manages to get down there every he time. Gets, he got down there and down the ball and inside the five. All right, how about this week uh, when you're prepping for the 49ers? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, you know, talked about Robbie Gold is excellent. Uh, the punter, uh, Wisnowski, he's, uh, he's a rookie, but he's an Australian rules, rules guy. And he can kind of kick crazy kicks. So you never know what you're going to get there, and he's athletic, so he can take off and run. Uh, and, and then the returners are excellent, you know that, that they have. Uh, uh, Thirteen is, you know, he's a punt returner, kick returner, does an excellent job, and they're well coached. Richard Hightower does a great job there, so we got our hands full, certainly. Well, I want you to know a lot of special teams geeks like myself, especially back in Chicago, always saying, I don't know why you guys don't get head coaching looks more than more than you do. I know you're not concerned about that right now, but why do you think that is? Well. I I think you know the fact that Joe Judge, you know, this year got a job. I mean, that's that's huge. You know that the you know that the Bears organization opened up. You know the thought of hiring a special teams guy. It's awesome. And, and, you know now he's got to go in there and do a good job. He goes in and does well. Uh, it'll open the doors for other guys. In 2012, right? You interviewed for the Bears job. You ever go back and go, "What if game?" Had you gotten that opportunity? Sure, I do it every time. I, I had four interviews. I had one in 2010 with the Miami Dolphins and the Bears, and then I had two. I had two, uh, you know, with Denver and in, in the uh, uh, San Diego at the time. Uh, you know, and every time I think about that, and I think about you know, what if I was the head coach? You know, would I do any better? You know, but but really, I'm I'm getting to a point now in my career where I'm I'm ready to move on. I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing, and uh, I just want to be the best special teams coach I can be. Well, you're doing a good job, and uh, we all wish you luck on Sunday. Thank you. Take care. And many believe that Dave Tobe is the best special teams coach in the NFL. It's been, uh, seems like that way for a really long time. But Dave Tobe sounds pretty happy in Kansas City. And I, I, I'm sure a lot of Bears fans out there would be happy to see him win a Super Bowl ring. But hey, he's still only 57 years old if anybody wants to, uh, to take a crack at him still as a head coach. Well, from one side to the other with the Chicago Super Bowl connections, uh, I'm sure a lot of fans feel the same way about Robbie Gold, uh, the former Bears kicker, if he were to win uh, on Sunday with the 49ers. You know, it's it's interesting. You're going to hear in this conversation with Robbie 
uh, as he met with a bunch of Chicago reporters at, at media night on Monday night down here in Miami. Um, but last year, talking to him on Radio Row in Atlanta, and it was so up in the air about where he was going to be, if the 49ers were going to franchise tag him, if there was any chance he would end up being a Chicago Bear. This was just a, a few weeks after the, the Cody Parkey double doink, and, and it seemed to be the you know the biggest conversation last year at the Super Bowl, at least in terms of, of you know how it connected to Chicago. Uh, and here we are a year later, talking to Robbie Gold again at the Super Bowl, and this time he's playing in it with the 49ers. Uh, he was asked at media night, uh, similar to the Dave Tove conversation, how this trip compares, uh, but he was more specifically asked about this team that he's on with the 49ers and how this 49ers team compares to that 2006 Chicago Bears team. You know, uh, our defense played really well uh, pretty much all year, and then you know we ran the football a lot that year. We had one of the best offensive lines and had two really good running backs in Cedric Benson and Thomas Jones. And I actually went back and watched uh, the Super Bowl uh, special teams game because Dave Tobes on the other side just to see how they called the game, what did he do, and see what we did. And you know, it's funny because it was so long ago that the the film's grainy. It's not HD like it is now, you know. But um, to go against him on the other side for me is going to be pretty special because the last time I played in this, I was he was coaching me. So um, I just hope he doesn't return the opening kickoff. Say, what does Devin's return look like on grainy film? Um, it definitely looks fast. That's for sure. A lot of flashing lights. So everybody that's been a part of that game, fan says. They won it on the opening kickoff. Every player or coach said, you know, that was not the case. But everybody's mind, it was one right there. What do you remember the sideline being like? I just remember just kind of how how we were built and kind of how the game opened up and just the way that our playoff season had kind of gone. Those type of plays usually sparked us to do some really good things quick. Um, and I thought they did a great job with their game plan of, you know, just dipping and dunking and uh, keeping the defense on the field for a while. And, um, you know, we just uh, came up on the short end of the stick and at the end of the game. And usually these games are, are won and lost on, you know, plays throughout the third and fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, it's, it's everyone has to understand that we're not down here to win a Super Bowl. We're down here to beat the Chiefs. And uh, I think that's a message that has uh, transcended through the guys to, hey, enjoy it. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're down here to finish a mission. How does a player deal with the distance between Super Bowls? When you go, you think you're going more often. Is it a tough thing to be this long? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was just telling the young guys, I went my first full year with the Bears. And all I remember was like, oh, this is nothing. I'm going to be back. And now, you know, 13 years later, uh, you're back in a Super Bowl. So, you know, you never know when you're going to do it. You never know how it's going to happen. You never know when it's going to happen. Uh, some of it's luck. Some of it's just being on the right team. You know, I don't believe that you can chase a Super Bowl. Uh, you can't go from team to team to try to win it. Um, but I think the biggest thing of, like, the young guys is telling them, hey, enjoy it. But something that I'll always remember, and it was, was telling my kids at home, um, they're in the basement, and I have a shadow box of the Super Bowl and has confetti on the, the cleats because I didn't wear them for the Pro Bowl that year. And um, I'm trying to tell my kids who I didn't have kids back then, but my six and four year old, what a Super Bowl is, and even my wife. And um, I was like, hey, go look at daddy's shoes. Daddy's got confetti on it. So hopefully we win and he can throw confetti all over the place. And 
you know, every time that I, I FaceTime them, they're like, hey, where's Jimmy G? <laughs> I'm like, Jimmy G's probably busy doing interviews or studying. They're like, okay, great. Well, where's George Kittle? Can I talk to George Kittle? So, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to share this moment with them, too. What would the 2020 Robbie Gold, 12 to 20 or 6 Robbie Gold, vice versa? You know, uh, I feel like I'm a lot smarter than I have been in years past. Uh, I feel like, you know, I have uh, a really good schedule and kind of put myself in a position to be really fresh for the game on Sunday. And then, um, you know, it's kind of nice being in a familiar place, uh, having played here in the Super Bowl, so I kind of know what to expect. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully not. I've been watching that for two weeks. It started out as rain. Uh, now it's like 75 and sunny. So, you know, I think the big part about it is, you know, just enjoy the ride because, you know, truthfully, um, I probably have a few more years left before uh, I'm going to go be a husband and a father. Were you uh, more nervous? I'm sorry. Were you more nervous before that game than a normal game if you think you would be on Sunday? Uh, you know what? I don't really get nervous. It's kind of funny. Like, I, I, I have nothing to lose at this point in my career. Like, I really don't like i'm playing to enjoy the game i'm playing to enjoy the moment uh you know every week and every road trip and every time i'm in the locker room you know as a young guy i didn't really like take it all in and at this point in my career i'm trying to take the experiences i have in and try to share them as much with my kids i mean my kids were every game my kids go to i kick a game-winning field goal so uh hopefully that's a good omen that they're coming to the super bowl this week Robbie, you were a front, you were a walk-on at Penn State, and sort of the, the the journey that you've made. When you think back to your time in Abbey Valley, when where you are now, do you ever think it'd end up with you in two Super Bowls like this? Uh, no, you know, I was just happy to be on a roster, and uh, obviously happy to be in a place where I could play in the NFL. You know, small-time kid from Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, goes to Penn State, plays four years, and you know, now I'm celebrating my third Super Bowl as a family, right? So my brother won one in uh, Super Bowl Fifty. Levi Stadium, and I'm hoping that uh, we can win this one so I can even the total. There you go. Yeah. Earlier this season, when you scuffled coming out of the game, what did you do to right yourself? You know, it, it really wasn't anything out of the ordinary. You know, I had a great camp. I hit like 120 kicks in a row. And, you know, I went in, everything was really good. And then um, our long snapper was suspended for six weeks. So we had an influx of a couple of guys come and go. And it, for me, it was just trying to find a rhythm. And, you know, I felt like every couple of weeks I was trying to find that rhythm. And um, right now, for me, having the same regiment of guys together working uh, at a length of time it's usually about three weeks that it kind of hits and makes sense and it feels right um the biggest thing was i was over kicking in the beginning of the year and that probably led to me you know missing a few more kicks than normal uh but you always try to lean on certain experiences um whether it's you know, kicking in the rain and shortening your approach or whether it's, you know, hey, you're kicking too much, like you can't do that, take a day off. Um, those are things that I can help our young punter who's an exceptional punter uh, to kind of help him throughout an entire season. Robbie, last year we talked to you at the Super Bowl. You didn't really know what this year was going to look like. You didn't necessarily know where you were going to be. A lot of us were, were talking about you coming back to Chicago. You look back on it, can you kind of reflect on, okay, not only did you return San Francisco, you signed a contract, and now you're back at the Super Bowl, but playing in it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a very uh, special year for me. You know, um, I love the city of Chicago. I always will. That love that I have for the city and for the Bear organization is never going to go away. I mean, I said it when I got cut. Once a bear, always a bear. I truly mean that. Um, I played 11 years there. I'm the all-time leading scorer. I... <laughs> 
have, I think, most of the field goal kicking records there. And, you know, there's a spot in my heart that my kids will learn bear down and all that when the time's right. And um, for me now, you know, when I got back, I was happy to be back because I know how special this group of guys is and what we've endured over the last few years. And I think the biggest part about it is just enjoying the moment and the ride of being back in a Super Bowl. And, you know, like I said, you never know when it's going to be or how it's going to end or what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, this is year 15, you know, to be able to play 15 years in the National Football League and be in two Super Bowls, unless you're a New England Patriot, that's kind of uncommon, you know. Obviously they tagged you, but when it, when it came down to it, why did you feel comfortable coming back and, and signing a contract too with them? Well, there's a lot of layers uh, to contracts, obviously, you know. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, and I told them this from the very beginning. If the deal is right and it makes sense for both sides, then I'd be more than happy to come back and be a San Francisco 49er. Uh, you know, obviously those conversations didn't really happen until the deadline, and that's usually when things heat up. I was actually in Tahoe uh, when it happened. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed my time in San Francisco. I really enjoy playing for the organization. I think the York family is first class all the way around. Um, I think they've done some amazing things uh, as owners to give back in the community, give guys the resources they need to be and excel at a high level. And that's a big part of why we're here. And, you know, it's it's something that uh, the faithful uh you know, they're very similar to the, the Bear fans. You know, they're diehards. They want a, a winner. And uh, for me, it's it's fun to go out there on Sundays and compete in front of them. And and like I said, you know, I, I love the city of Chicago, and that's, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Getting another chance in this game and knowing what your brother went through getting the ring, how meaningful would it to win on Sunday? Well, the thing is, is I can't walk into my house, open up my Super Bowl ring with my banner, and show him because he already kind of won up me there. So I got to think of a unique way to show him the ring if we win. Yeah, Robbie's brother Chris has the bragging rights in the family right now, but that could change on Sunday. Uh, uh, Robbie's brother Chris, uh, assistant special teams coordinator in Denver, won the Super Bowl uh, with the Broncos a few years ago in Super Bowl 50, and Robbie getting the crack here in Super Bowl 54. Uh, All right, well, keeping the special teams flavor going and transitioning the two current Chicago Bears, uh, two guys that, uh, for the most part, had pretty good seasons. I, I I know the the feeling is that Eddie Pinheiro still has uh, something to prove, and I think that's certainly accurate. Um, but he did have a couple game winners this season, including the winner over the Vikings in Week 17. And Pat O'Donnell probably had his best season as a Chicago Bear. They're both Miami boys. They, they grew up here. Uh, they they're living here right now in the off season. They see each other a lot in the off season, and they're both hanging out on Radio Row today. Had a chance to catch up with Pat O'Donnell and Eddie Pinheiro. This is turning into the special teams episode because we talked to Robbie Gold, we talked to Dave Tobe, and now we got Pat O'Donnell and Eddie Pinheiro here back home. You guys are back in Miami. This got to be pretty cool for you guys. Absolutely. Eddie's the Miami guy. He's the Miami guy. I'm more the West Palm Beach guy. For you sure. Know? Happy to be home, put my tank top on, my sandals, and walk the beach. <laughs> That's what I'm good at, so. Is this, uh, is this a little weird having the Super Bowl, like kind of your backyards here and kind of getting to enjoy it, though, but without obviously playing in the game? 
No, it's really cool. I mean, just growing up down here, uh, the Super Bowl hasn't been here uh, for a long time. Last showing were the Bears, you know, so it's uh, it's pretty ironic, you know, that Robbie gets to have the opportunity to play here again. He's actually at the University of Miami practicing. That's where they're hosting him. So, you know, he uh, he FaceTimed me the other day, and it was really cool, the whole setup. You know, they got the 49ers on the field. So it's a cool experience. I mean, just walking around here, they did it really well. So you guys are going to have a great week. Yeah, I had a chance to catch up with Robbie last night, and, of course, the stadium has changed a little bit but it's it's essentially the same setting he played in in the Super Bowl before 13 years ago. I think he's hoping it doesn't rain this time. Um, but it is. It's kind of a, a weird thing to come back and but get a second crack at it. Uh, I know, you, Pat, you played with him for two years. Mm-hmm. You still talk to him uh, I don't know, frequently. I yeah, yeah, we and, keep in touch. Yeah. Each other text. Good luck this week, this and that. So, oh. uh, you know, wish him all the best. I mean, you know, the 49ers have a great chance. I mean, they're going up against a great team, the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, it's going to be a great game, you know, to say the least. So When you start this season and obviously the Bears had high expectations you know the Super Bowl's in Miami like was that something that was on your your calendar and and something you're hoping for just knowing that you guys are Miami guys and have a chance to could have played here right I think every year you know the Super Bowl is circled and that's what you're striving for Um, but it was really cool to have that opportunity to be back down here you know going to University of Miami and playing in Dolphin Stadium I would have been a really cool experience you know so maybe the next five years whenever they host it again we'll be back so, uh, yeah, if you want yeah. to take it. Yeah, it would have been cool. I mean, obviously it wasn't, I mean, in my mind for sure, obviously being back home, but next year's in Tampa, so we might have another shot next year. So, <laughs> Not too far away. Um, it, look, the Bear special teams unit this year, though, it, it, you guys were pretty strong. Um, had a chance to talk to Dave Tobe last night, the chief special teams coordinator. Asked him a little bit about what it was like preparing for you guys. Um and Pat, you had a really strong year. I mean, what did what was different this year for you at all, or what went into to what the type of season you had? You know, I think as you progress in the league, you know, you're just trying to get better each and every year. You, know, you, you set a bar for yourself, and you try to reach that goal. Uh, but I think Chris Tabor has been a huge uh, influential role for uh, our uh, coach for us. Uh, he wants nothing but the best. You know, he he you know took Eddie under his wing as soon as he got here, and he wanted Eddie to excel. He wanted me to excel. So in order to get to that level, it was cool that he hired uh, Jamie Cole, the kicking consultant. You know, another eyes for us to do. Uh, something besides X's nose. It's more technique. It's more our day-to-day. It's uh, fundamental work. Uh, so I thought it was huge for us. You know, I can't speak for Eddie, but in, Eddie, you have something to say about it? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was he's a coach that believes in us, and, you know, I think all it takes is that one coach to believe in you and give you the right opportunity and the right time, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity he gave me, and, you know, him bringing in Jamie Coles to be another set of eyes, like Pat said, was was a, was a good deal. So. Yeah, Pat, you have I mean, you can obviously compare the the setup this year, the addition of Jamie to past years. I mean, in what ways was it beneficial, the, I guess, the group of coaches and just maybe the camaraderie you guys all had this year? Yeah, I think it's really important. The more eyes you can have on something, the better. I mean, in the quarterback room, you have three or four coaches that are dedicated to the quarterback technique, fundamentals. you know, for the special teams room, it's more so X's and O's, how you block, how you do the returns. Uh, Tabor's been huge, I think, uh, trying to get us the best, uh, 
I guess avenue for us to be the best successful players that we can be you know whether that's bringing Jamie or for him learning something specifically for kicking and the technique uh, that goes into that uh, he'd be the first one to tell you you know he knows enough to be dangerous uh, but it was it was cool that you have a coach that wants you to be the best and to uh, impact the game when I asked Dave Tobe last night about preparing for the Bears it is Cordero Patterson right away and not just the returner but the gunner right and right. man it was so fun watching him get down the field uh, especially on punts this year what an asset he must have been for you this season yeah he loves special teams he'd be uh you know the first one to tell you you know he loves playing offense but you know he takes pride and a passion in it you know he's been to the pro bowl a number of times and for him to actually you know bring that dedication to this craft each and every week you know we put him in the game plan quite a bit on what side we're punting to so for a guy to be fired up like that when he makes tackles and huge returns in the game it fires up i think the offense and defense eddie your uh, season ended on a high note in, in minnesota you, you also had the game winner in denver earlier this season when you look back uh at this season and your your first year with the bears how do you evaluate it um you know i obviously have a high expectations for myself i mean i thought i had a you know pretty good year i mean i think i gained a lot of experience kicking in the wind and kicking in the cold and stuff that i was that i never experienced in college um i think it was a good experience and i think uh this year it's it'll be uh it'll be a fun time this year for me so it seemed just from an outsider's view and someone who knows next to nothing about kicking um that if there was a fluctuation in your season it kind of did coincide with the weather turning a little bit was that something that you had to battle through in your first year cooking or cook kicking in cold weather yeah um just trying to manipulate the wind and uh trying to kick in the cold and doing different things and working with pat and you know pat's been a big big help i call him the caddy you know just helping him helping me you know when they snap the ball to him adjusting the ball and different different things to try to you know at the end of the day is trying to make as many kicks as you can but um just gaining experience i think was the biggest the biggest thing for me this year it seems like so much of kicking goes back to the golf analogies is that i mean when he calls you the caddy is that is that kind of an accurate description when it comes to the field goals? I'd say it's very accurate. I mean, we evaluate the wind, you know, which way it's going, which way he, where he should play it. Pre-game is huge for us. We look for targets, you know, flight lines for him to aim. You know, if he's comfortable aiming there in this wind situation, we aim there. So just having a mental pre-game snapshot of what we're getting ourselves into going in each different side of the end zone in different stadiums. All right, I'm going to ask you guys to put your analyst hat on. There's a big football game being played here on Sunday. You guys know the... The, the different punters and kickers around the league. So, Pat, I'll start with you. Can you kind of break down the punting matchup in, in the Super Bowl on Sunday? Well, you have a veteran, Dustin Colquitt, you know, going against an Aussie rookie you know, for San Francisco. So, it'll be an interesting matchup. It's really cool to see a guy like Dustin Colquitt, you know, playing for, God, I don't know how old he is, he's like 37, 38 years old, you know, getting to the Super Bowl, having a moment, a chance like this. Um, you have Dave Tobe, who's an excellent special teams coordinator, going against Richard Hightower, who we had here in Chicago. So it'll be a fun matchup, to say the least. And Eddie, do the kickers? Uh, I think it's going to be good. I mean, um, Harrison Bucker, obviously a great kicker. Robbie Gould, great kicker. Should be fun. So. <laughs> I'm gonna give the I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the victory to Pat on that one for the breakdown, but I appreciate it. Hey, one more for you, uh, Pat. It, from uh, a, a system standpoint, Chris Tabor coached with Dave Tobe in the past. I mean, are there similarities in in how they do things when when 
fans are watching the game on Sunday that watch the Chiefs special teams. Is it right. similar to what you guys do? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. Uh, they love returns. You know, they love uh, getting the ball in the returners' hands. So in order for you know that scheme to be successful, they have to have good returners. And Dave Tope has that. Chris Tabor had that. So uh, I would like to see you know some big returns out of the the special team unit for the Chiefs. And I think if they do that, they'll help field position, and uh, I think they'll help dictate the game for them. All right, guys, I appreciate you stopping by. It was fun, and uh, thanks for having us here in Miami. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. All right, there they are, gracious hosts, Eddie Pinheiro and Pat O'Donnell here in Miami. And you heard them talking about how, uh, yeah, it would have been great uh, to have the Bears down here in this game, but obviously the season went a different direction. A Eddie hinting that maybe next year in Tampa, just uh, up the road a little bit, uh, maybe that's a, a possibility if the Bears can get things going. But I, I do think for the most part, uh, is Bears special teams uh, doing pretty well under Chris Tabor, certainly areas to improve, uh, but those two guys had a, a, a pretty solid year. And Pat O'Donnell had a, a, a really good year, to be honest, and we'll see if they can keep that going. Uh, as they uh, live close together and uh, spend some time together, work out together, in the offseason before they return back to the Chicago area in April when the team gets back together for the offseason program. All right, uh, well, we're going to change gears a little bit now uh, with the Bears, keep it on the Bears, but uh, talk about the offense a little bit. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions right now. A lot of fans would like to know more about Bill Lazor, the new offensive coordinator, John Filippo, the uh, quarterback's coach. And uh, we haven't had the opportunity to hear from those guys. I don't really know when that will be. Uh, but down here at the Super Bowl, which was trying to seek out uh, a player or two that has history, especially with Bill Lazor. And uh, Lazor was the offense coordinator in Miami before he was with the Bengals. And Matt Moore, who is now uh, the Chiefs' third-string quarterback and actually had to play a couple games this year uh, when Patrick Mahomes was hurt, Matt Moore worked closely with Bill Lazor, former Dolphin, when Lazor was the uh, Dolphins' OC here in Miami. And I uh, had a chance to, to catch up with Matt Moore, ask him a little bit about what the Bears are getting in Bill Lazor as their offensive coordinator. Man, I like Bill. Bill's a high-energy guy. He's going to hold you to the highest standard. Uh, he's creative. Um, you know, he's going to try and create speed and space, just like anybody. Uh, with with when, when he was here, he had just come from Philly with Chip Kelly. And you talk about all that space with the bubbles and all that stuff, uh, kind of how the game's evolved, and, and Bill was right on top of it. So we were doing all that stuff, and... So they got a good coach, though. I know that in Bill Lazor. And, of course, the Bears are running a lot of similar stuff. You guys are running yeah. Kansas City. So from that standpoint, it sounds like you think that's a pretty good fit. Yeah, I do. I do. And, you know, I don't know Matt Nagy. I know he was here with Coach Reed. Um, but I think, you know, you get those two minds together along with everybody else they have. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Just one more. What kind of emphasis did he have on the running game? Because I know it's something they're really trying to improve. No, it was big. He, he had a lot on it. I mean, that was, uh, I think, one of the big things that he brought with him uh, from Philly and uh, so I, I think he'll he'll have his fingerprint all over it for sure. Well it was interesting there hearing Matt Moore talk a little bit about uh, the running game and uh, how Bill Lazor will have his fingerprints all over that and I, I think this is something that John Z and I have talked about on this podcast uh, in recent weeks and I, I still think that's a big emphasis and a big reason uh, why these moves were made and I think if you track the action 
wins here of Matt Nagy. That that's what it shows. Um, you know, I keep getting asked by people, even down here in Miami, do I feel like uh, Mark Helfrich and the other coaches that were let go were just scapegoats? And, and to me, when you use that word or, or you have that conversation, um, if you think they're scapegoats, and kind of what you're saying is that you believe that Matt Nagy didn't actually think those guys needed to be fired, but that he just felt like he needed to make some move to show some kind of action that there was going to be some kind of change. I I, I find it hard to believe that uh, he was operating to make a move just to make a move. I, I think that he's looking at what went wrong this year, uh, especially when it comes to the running game, and trying to fix it. So, and also when it comes to Mitchell Trubisky, finding a, a different way to break through. And obviously they like what Dave Ragone's doing. That's why they promoted him to the passing coordinator, but they wanted to bring in a fresh voice too uh, with Bill Lazor, who's had success with other quarterbacks, including Nick Foles, and John Filippo, who's also had success uh, with other quarterbacks like Nick Foles. So, but I think it does come back to the running game a lot too. And so it was interesting to hear those comments from Matt Moore there um, as as he reflected back on on his couple years with Bill Lazor. And uh, I guess it, until then, it's just sort of a wait and see type of thing on what the changes are actually going to look like with this Bears team. All right. Well, I want to move uh, sort of keep it on the assistant coaching talk. You've heard us discuss a lot here on this podcast a guy named Mike Kafka who is the Chiefs quarterbacks coach and uh, working with Patrick Mahomes the one who got away right um, but uh, we've we were discussing Mike Kafka a lot in in terms of the then open offensive coordinator job somebody who made a lot of sense somebody who worked closely with Matt Nagy still remains very close with Matt Nagy so I wanted to catch up with Mike down here um, I had a chance to see him work very closely with Clayton Thorson uh, when he was on Northwestern staff a few years ago he was with uh, when he retired he joined Northwestern for one season came back to Northwestern which of course is where he played his college football uh, spent one year a part of most of his duties was working with the quarterbacks working with the offense and you see him during games work very closely uh, with Clayton Thorson who was then the quarterback and is uh, now with the Dallas Cowboys so he gets that that one year and immediately makes the jump to the NFL knew he wanted to get in the NFL and lands with Andy Reid, who he played for when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, as a quarterback in the NFL. Well, certainly been a, a much like the Dave Tobe conversation earlier. It's been a good situation for Mike Kafka to be in. And he worked with Matt Nagy and was blessed with the talents of Patrick Mahomes there and is now the quarterback's coach and probably would have moved up had Eric Bieniemy uh, gotten a head coaching job uh, and you know, who knows? So sometimes these move the movements with coaches totally depends on what happens with the playoffs. So the fact that the Chiefs are still playing, obviously, 
uh, probably had an impact on, on Mike Kafka making any type of move. But regardless of that, I wanted to talk to him a little bit about uh, his history. Look, he's a St. Rita kid. He's a Chicagoan. He's having success in the league. He's still young, and uh, a lot of people view him as an up-and-coming hot coaching candidate around the league. Uh, maybe one day he'll he'll be coaching with the Bears. Maybe he'll be coaching with Matt Nagy. Um, but he still knows a lot about what's going on in Chicago and Matt Nagy and, of course, working with Patrick Mahomes. So I, I think you'll find this conversation pretty interesting. Here he is, Mike Kafka, the Chiefs quarterback's coach. I want to start with Northwestern. Oh, okay. Because you had a quick, I mean, go. you had a quick just one-year stint there, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're you're in the NFL and kind yeah. of rising pretty quickly. But what did that, that one year under Pat Fitzgerald, working with Clayton Thorson, how much yeah. did that help you? Um, I mean, it was phenomenal to get to get um, into the coaching business at my alma mater, have a ton of familiarity, not only with just the staff, but with the community, with the offense. Um, you know, it was great for me and my wife. We were just having our firstborn of my daughter. So, like, you know, having that transition, and she's a, she's a Northwestern alum as well. So um, it was great to kind of have some familiarity, a bunch of family there and stuff. It was uh, – I'm lucky to have that opportunity. And then, I mean, you jumped right away to Kansas City. Was that connection just having played in Philadelphia with Andy Reid? Yep. So, you know, once I got into coaching um, – I was fairly aggressive with trying to get, you know, another opportunity besides for just a graduate assistant and uh, obviously with a newborn on the way. So I reached out to Coach Reed and, you know, just put it out there to see if he had anything that was available and if I could help out in any way. And, um, you know, it worked out. It worked out. He had a spot open for me. So since I cover the Bears, Mm -hmm. talking to Matt Nagy a lot, and he's publicly talked even this year Mm -hmm. about the year you guys had together working with Patrick Mahomes and how it just kind of an interesting dynamic where obviously he wasn't playing, Mm -hmm. but the two of you worked so closely with him behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. What was that year like, both in terms of Patrick, but also working closely with Matt Nagy every day? Sure. I mean, Nags, Nags was great. So when I was in Philadelphia, Nagy was um, was our quality control. And then, um, so it was kind of funny, I came back when I went to the Chiefs, I was the quality control. And so, you know, as a player, and you're in that quarterback room, it's it's a sacred ground. But, I mean, Na- I know Nagy for a long time, and he's a great guy, and been a great guy to work with. And so, kind of get into the coaching business and learning, relearning the offense, really, um, because it's changed since when I was in Philadelphia. Um, you know, they've, they've developed some new different things and new thoughts in the run and pass game. So, um, he was a great resource for me um, to help, you know to kind of jumpstart that part of it in the in the NFL. I think, and then with my time with both Nags and Pat, he was able to help me out with you know kind of a framework of you know hey how are you going to get Pat ready to take a next step? And so you know we talked a lot, and you know that was through Nagy through Coach Reed about you know how we want to get this done. Patrick and um, and help him get acquainted to the offense as fast as possible. Yeah, because I mean that's a pretty big job. You draft a guy in the first round, mm-hmm. he might not be playing. You obviously got to win the game every mm-hmm. Sunday, yeah. but you also know that's a first round pick. You're trying to develop him. So yeah. what kind of things were you were you doing behind the scenes? I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it was a lot of extra hours. Yeah, there was there was some extra hours. You know, Pat 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 put in a bunch of time getting in really early before uh, before a lot of players talking through the protection game, talking through the install. So you know by the time 
Coach Reed installed it in the morning. He probably had heard it, you know, once or twice already. And so, you know, those things, as you build up each week, each day, um, they start adding up. And so, you know, when he had an opportunity really late in the season against Denver, you know, he was able to, he put in a lot of work up to that point to where it paid off and um, had himself a nice day as, a, as an opening. And obviously we've seen everything he's done on the field mm-hmm. since. What yeah. what kind of uh, – was that – his mindset, it seems like he doesn't flinch mm-hmm. ever. I mean, was that yeah. evident early on? And then in the context of this week, it's such a big stage, yeah. but he's really shown no signs that he's gonna, yeah. it's going to be any different, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, that first Denver game, you really got a great glimpse into who he was um, that whole week of preparation leading up to that game. And then obviously going into the game and just having a bunch of confidence, throwing the ball strong, um, putting on calls that you know we talked about early in the week. I think that was a great, um, great snapshot of you know what he was, and then obviously having this whole off season to that point, um, and then building into the into last year. How much mm. you uh, keeping both keep in touch with Matt and also kind of yeah. loosely pay attention to what's going on with uh, with him and Trubisky and what's going on in Chicago? Oh yeah, we'll text back and forth every now and then. Um, you know, in the season it's tough. I know exactly what his schedule. You know, because they carry a pretty similar schedule to what we do. Um, so I know I know he's busy. So I try to try to just you know say hi every now and then and wish him luck every now and then. But um, in the off season, we catch up a lot more often. Everyone speaks so highly of him and maintaining that confidence, even though the Bears obviously had a down year. N- knowing him, what yeah. makes you confident that it's going to work with him and Mitch? Yeah, Nags is going to find a way. He'll always find a way uh, to make it work. Uh, you know, I, that's what that's what I got with my time here with him. Um, he'll put in the work. He'll put in the hours. And he'll find a way to put his guys in a great spot to win a ball game. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, it's good to see you again. Yeah. Well, I think finding that way is what uh, Matt Nagy's trying to do right now with some of these moves he's made on his staff and uh, finding a way to make it work with Mitchell Trubisky. We'll have to see what that all looks like this season. But add Mike Kafka to the long list of Chicago connections here in Super Bowl 54 and an opportunity for him to get his uh, first Super Bowl ring. Uh, Again, a Chicago kid, St. Rita, and uh, it it would be good to see Mike Kafka, who's uh, a good dude, Northwestern guy. Uh, see him get a ring this week. Either way, uh, Chicago wins on Sunday. If you look like it, it look at it that way, uh, unless you just can't stomach the idea of Patrick Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. Uh, but you know, as we talk about so much with Trubisky, I don't think that's really fair to Mahomes. And uh, unfortunately, that conversation will continue to n- not go away. In the meantime, one more interview to get to today on this uh, lengthy Hogan Johns podcast from Radio row in Miami, but uh, want to catch up with Greg Jennings again. Greg Jennings uh, of course played for the Packers. Uh, it kind of ends our Chicago connections I guess here, um, but he's fun to talk to because of that Packer connection. We talked to him down here at the Super Bowl last year uh, and uh, wanted to catch up with him again. He's a, is, He still works for FS1. I think he does a pretty good job uh, as an analyst. He's been uh, assigned to... I don't know if he did a Bears game this year. I know he did one last year. Um... But he's going in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, also in his uh, sort of his side jobs, we'll put it that way. And you'll hear from the, him on that conversation here as we talk to Greg Jennings here on Radio Row. All right, it's time to bring in Greg Jennings, who joined us here last year and is in the middle of eating right now. <laughs> I'm told you uh, have to meet a certain amount of calories per day. I do. I do. Um, 
I'm up to about 4,000 calories a day. Um, training for a men's physique competition coming up in May. And uh, got to get the food in. So it's, it's bodybuilding. What's a how do you what's a men's physique competition like? How does that work? So like the bodybuilding is, is I, I don't even like saying bodybuilding because <laughs> when people say bodybuilding, they automatically think of like Mr. Olympia, like the yeah. extreme huge guys. There's categories. There's that, which is the top of the top. And then you got the middle, which is classic physique, where you're showcasing your full body um, and you're doing some poses. And then there's men physique, where it's just really upper body um and you're in board shorts you're not in the little speedo and you don't have any posing routines uh you're just looking good but i'm kind of kind of going through that phase so i'm doing the total body lower body upper body and kind of gonna work my way to classic physique and that's where i feel like i'm gonna cap it off Uh, all right so uh you feel like you're you're on your way like I'm, I'm definitely on my way from where I started to where I am today. Definitely on. How my much way. time per day are you working? Does it? Um, as t- far as training, yeah. I train for like an hour. Mondays is my long days because it's a leg day. It's about an hour and twenty okay. minutes. Outside of that, it's just an hour in the gym, and then primarily the time is spent in the kitchen, meal prepping, <laughs> making sure that I got all my meals prepared. So on the go, like I am right now, there's no excuse. I can still eat and consume those those necessary calories. Uh, well, of course, we're talking to Greg Jennings from FS1 and uh, getting into the bodybuilding here. You can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Jennings. And, of course, uh, Bears fans in Chicago, very familiar with Greg <laughs> Jennings. Um, you know, I wanted to actually start with something that happened last year. I don't know if you remember this at all, but there was a, I think we had a mix-up with two guests at the same time, and you ended up sitting down with me and Ricardo Lockett. And the two of you guys talked like you had that. been friends forever. Yep. And then the interview was over. You got up and you introduced yourselves to <laughs> I was so confused because we did the whole interview and I thought, oh, these guys, you know, they must have just crossed yeah. paths. They know, must know each other. Yep. It was a great conversation. We were talking about all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the interview was over and it was like, oh, by the way, nice to meet you. And mm-hmm. it was like, you guys didn't even know each other. Yeah, that's what it is, man. It's... it's Football sport has this way of just bringing people together, and you kind of forget and kind of, kind of literally throw to the side whether what you have in common outside of that. You just know what you have in common because of that. And so, with him being a receiver, I being a receiver, I knowing his body at work, he knowing my body yeah. at work, the respect is already there. It's not a matter of do I need to know him, do I have his cell phone number in my in my my call logs, but it's I'm going to respect him. I'm going to let him know that I appreciate what he's done, and we can talk the same lingo. And then after after we got done, like you said, it's yeah. like okay, matter of fact, man, what? Let me get your contact information. <laughs> man, it's, not, it's so good meeting you. It's like that's kind of a, a secondary thought uh, when you meet someone. So uh, kind of along those lines in the uh, the context of, of this week and the, the tough news with, with Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. you kind of talking about that brotherhood within sports. Mm-hmm. It, it's obviously something that's actually gone way beyond sports. But how did it hit you? A couple different ways. Um, as an athlete, um, it hit me that way uh understanding what he meant to the sports world um but i think the the most challenging 
part what resonated with me the most is as a as a father um having a 13 year old myself oh, yeah. daughter be, and she literally as i'm taking her sunday to her volleyball tournament which they ended up winning we're on our way and she's like daddy okay so she knew i was leaving to come down here that day yeah. She's like, what are your topics going to be? Are you going to talk about Patrick Mahomes? Or are you talking about Jimmy G? Like, I need to know so I can give you some of my, my pointers. Some of, <laughs> like, that's... Like, and so to see that and to, to come to know Kobe, I had the pleasure of meeting him one time and come to know him as a dad. Like, once we, we saw Kobe on the court... And then we would see him by himself. But then after after that chapter was over, if you will, we started seeing him in that dad phase. The only time we saw Kobe Bryant was when he was with his daughter. He had a child with him. Like, he was full-blown dad. He yep. And he... He, you could see how much that meant to him. You could see how much it meant to his daughter. And he was everything to her, but he was he was so much to everyone else. And so to be in that situation situation of wanting to always protect and provide and do for your your child, and to not be able to do that, and they have the belief that daddy is everything to me, like that. To him, for him, that had to be devastating. For me, it, it was kind of like this gut punch check. Like, dude, am I am I really maximizing everything that I need to be doing in life? But more importantly, with my children, with my wife, with my family, like with my friends, the people that I know. Like, I, I just wanted to just say I love you. You know yeah. what I mean? Because here today, gone tomorrow, that's something we hear, but... It's not a reality that we live day to day. And I don't know if you had the same feeling that I did, but I didn't want to come down here. No. You know, I no. didn't want to leave my kid. I literally it, was on was, the plane harder. and was like, I, had, had that happened before getting on the plane, it was like it would have been really hard for me yeah. to get on the plane and leave. It really would have. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit of football. For sure. When you uh, look at this matchup this week between these two teams, it it's kind of like the the complete team, but then you have the team that obviously has right now the best quarterback in, mm -hmm. in, in football. How do you see it playing out? Oh man, this is a this is an intriguing matchup uh, for a lot of reasons. You got a high powered offense going up against a, a stout defense that does that is stingy in the secondary uh, that doesn't like to give up a lot of points. Um, and then you got another offense on the other side of the ball that has an identity of we're just going to punch you in the mouth. This is what we do. We're not deviating. We might alter it every every now and then, but that's who we are. And so with that being said, um, I like both of these teams in this yeah. game, in this matchup. I like Patrick Mahomes. I like the, what makes him so unique and so, so great is the guys around him. And he'll tell you that before anyone. The guys around him make him special. Now, don't get me wrong. He is flat-out special. He would be special with anyone. But having that amount of guys on the perimeter at your at his luxury makes him even that much more lethal and scary. Uh, but 
I I like the 49ers and what they bring and how they how they carry themselves and what they what they do. I don't think people are giving their def- the 49ers defense enough credit. I keep seeing people predicting this is going to be the highest scoring Super Bowl ever, and I just keep going. I don't know this 49ers defense. They they keep slowing everybody down. Yeah, it's it's been one team that's that's kind of cracked the code, if you will, and that was the New Orleans Saints uh, when they went down to New Orleans and they had that kind of shootout that's game. Right. Yep. Outside of that, they haven't had that happen all year. Um, and so you wonder, like, okay, it's Kansas City, that team that can do it again. And I just feel like with them having that experience, I, I don't see them allowing that to happen. Um, it is definitely going to be a good game. But then you look at the dynamic and the, just the rapport that these guys both have with their coaches, with one another. You look at yesterday – and just the camaraderie and the looseness and of the Kansas City Chiefs, and you're like, hmm, I remember that. I remember that feeling. Yeah, I remember. I remember feeling like really <laughs> comfortable, and everyone was high on, you know, the Steelers when we were in the in the uh, Super Bowl. And it's just like it's something about just coming together and it being all about the team and wanting to do it for a purpose. And the Chiefs, the Chief has that, and the 49ers <laughs> have it as well, which is why it's going to be an intriguing matchup. With your history with with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, how did you view them during this season? Because it it kind of seemed like they were overachieving along the way mm-hmm. and I'm not sure anybody was all that surprised with what happened in the yeah. NFC Championship game but you know it's still there's I, I think just a point this year maybe it was the second time they beat the Bears where even in Chicago we were just like well gotta hand it to them I mean they're doing something right yeah yeah I mean I, I view them as if I could sum it up in a word it, they were just unpredictable um and that's a scary team to face. It really is because. But then, when you're, when you are that unpredictable, you're a little unsure. Whereas others may view you as a little scary, but you're kind of viewing yourself as, man, I hope we, I hope we be that team that we've been on this week or the <laughs> other weeks. And that was what was so unique about the Packers. And then they didn't have that signature win that just solidified their record, if you will, of th- thirteen and three, saying, "Yeah, they are, they are just that good." Um, and I'll say this: in Week Twelve, when they faced the Forty ers the way they got beat. As players, you know, like you just know, and everybody will say, you know, anything can happen any given week. You know when a team is better than you. You, you. you never want to admit it. You will never admit it, but you just know. The way the 49ers just manhandled them on both sides of the ball, that was not just they had a bad day. That was this team from top to bottom is just flat out better than us. They beat them. They didn't lose. They beat them down. And so going into this NFC Championship matchup, there was no, like, as much as I wanted them to win, there was, like, there was, if I were a betting man, I picked the 49ers because I knew they were the better team. Yeah. Like, they might, 
the Packers might lose to them this time, and they may not get beat like they did the last time, but they're still going to lose because they're just that much better. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought it would be a little bit closer the second time around, but it was pretty obvious Mm -hmm. who the better team was going into that matchup. Um, You miss playing the Chicago Bears? (laughs) They did treat me well, man. (laughs) You know what? I I don't miss playing the game. Um, But when I do think of the Bears, man, I just think of all all my matchups with Peanut. Yeah. um, And those guys, like Erlacher and Briggs. And, man, they just had so many great defenses where – there was times where we thought that even in the NFC Championship game, we came out guns blazing, just drive the ball down the field, put the ball in the end zone. We there was games where we just felt like we should just demolish them, and for whatever reason, they always had this resolve in this fight to bear down and to crawl back into the game, and we could never quite put them away like we wanted to. And uh, those are the things that I recall and remember the most. So. Speaking of that NFC Championship game in Chicago, everyone says, "All right, if Jay doesn't, Jay Cutler doesn't get hurt, the Bears go to the yeah, Super Bowl." Yeah. How do you look back on that game? Yeah, they had no chance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's just you got to understand. So BJ like, Raji, yeah, man, around with the you, you got like, So like, there's a there's like a certain aura and a mentality that a team has and you see it right away and that's that's what's so unique about this game coming up is both teams kind of have that 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 innate ability to just gal- be galvanized by one another whatever the reasons are and to be doing it for one reason no ego that's the 49ers no egos like like for George Kittle to be the talent that he is and to just say, we can run it 40, 40 times. I wouldn't care. And it's the Super Bowl. Like most guys' mentality, kid you not, I guarantee you, they're thinking, how can I get Super Bowl MVP? Yeah. Like I'm just being honest. Like yeah. every guy, every guy thinks it, every guy wants it. And yet you have a team full of guys that are, you think of Emmanuel Sanders, he went there to make a difference, and he has made a tremendous difference. But I guarantee you he didn't think it was going to come at the cost of him potentially being targeted once or twice in an NFC Championship game or a dozen times all postseason. Like, that's the type of sacrifice they're willing to put on the table just to win. That is a scary team to play. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to watch. Yeah. Uh, Greg, it's good talking to you again. You, get, you can watch Greg Jennings on FS1 and follow his physical transformation to professional bodybuilder on social media at Greg Jennings on Twitter at the official GJ on Instagram. Appreciate good to see you. I have a feeling that Bears fans uh, might disagree with Greg Jennings a little bit on how that uh, NFC Championship game uh, may have played out had the uh, injuries gone a little bit different. But um, uh, still fun to talk to Greg Jennings and uh, wrapping things up a little bit with some Kobe Bryant uh, conversation too, bringing this podcast full circle. I I just wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't... Uh, leave that out of here because this is a football podcast, but, um, man, it, 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 things down here keep coming back to Kobe, and it's it's sort of just the, rea- the tough reality of this week, and I don't know if anyone had a chance to watch the 
uh, replay of Kobe's last game that that ESPN replayed on Monday night. I don't know if they're going to do it again, but um, man, that was that was both incredibly fun, exciting, and heartbreaking all at the same time. What a performance it was, but I did not remember how much they showed his family there in those uh, the final moments of that game. And so seeing Gigi, seeing his family uh, with all that excitement going on, that was uh, that that <laughs> it's. It's funny. These it keeps coming. I, I keep getting sidetracked by Twitter and videos and all this stuff that uh, um, kind of bring you back down the earth, though. Which I which I think is probably a good thing, um, as you get kind of wrapped up in all the Super Bowl excitement, and it certainly puts things in perspective. And uh, thanks to Jared Payton for coming on here at the beginning of this podcast too to talk about uh, his personal experiences uh, with you know a, a, losing an enormous fi- sports figure, but in in, in his case. That was just dad. So um, it, it was. Uh, I appreciate him coming on to, to kind of give that that much needed perspective. And uh, thanks everyone for listening to this uh, lengthy, long episode. Uh, I, I love coming down here to Radio Row. I love talking to all these people. It's you know, it's kind of in some ways a celebration of this entire NFL season. And uh, it's always interesting to see the Chicago connections in this game. Every year there are some, and uh, and we'll have more later on this week. Uh, we'll have another Hogan Johns episode later on this week. I think what's going to end up happening is I'll record that Friday when I get back in Chicago with Johnsy. But we'll have you know all the other interviews that I end up getting here in the next couple days. And as I teased earlier, that includes Kyle Long. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sure I, I know there's a couple other Bears players that are supposed to be down here. So I don't want to promise those yet. Um, but uh, I imagine, as is always the case here on Radio Row, you run into people and you end up with uh, a lot of good content, which is uh, fortunately how this podcast came out. want to thank Howie Long for uh, talking so eloquently about his son's retirement. And I'm looking forward to talking to Kyle, too, on the heels of that conversation. Uh, also, thanks to Dave Tobe, Robbie Gold being generous with their time. Uh, Eddie Pinheiro and Pat O'Donnell, the two Miami kids, stopping by here uh, in uh, current Bears special teamers to uh, continue the special team flavor in this podcast. Also, uh, Matt Moore, uh, Mike Kafka, and Greg Jennings as well. Fun episode here today from Miami, and uh, we will have more later on this week. Again, you need to subscribe to The Athletic to hear that one. Uh, it's You could still subscribe. 40% off. If you haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, you should. And especially because you're going to want to hear uh, all the interviews we get on uh, for Friday's episode. Uh, we'll have that later on in this week. Go to theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, H-O-G-E and Johns, J-A-H-N-S, to uh, subscribe there and get that 40% off on our uh, bonus episode of the podcast that you can get all off-season long as you did during the season. Uh, in the meantime, follow me on Twitter. We'll have uh, plenty more this week. You can see it on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E. That's also my Instagram handle, too. I don't plug the Instagram a whole lot, but uh, there's some pictures up for Media Night and uh, some other things going around. I'll continue to post throughout the week on Instagram as well, so you can find it there. Follow Johnsy at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. He'll be back on Friday. In the meantime, you can read him at The Athletic, The Athletic app, and we appreciate you doing that. 
please rate and review the podcast too. We appreciate you doing that too. We love our loyal listeners and uh, and thank you for staying with us throughout the year. All right, we'll talk to you later on this week on The Athletic.